Acts chapter 16 tonight. We'll start reading in verse 9. Now we are skipping a a small portion of scripture. Uh, Basically the verses uh, 1 through uh, 8, which talks about Timothy being uh, called to join Paul and kind of the uh, Paul taking Timothy under his wing and really the report that Timothy uh, had been well reported of to Paul. And, and so he's a young man. We all are familiar with Timothy. And we'll talk about Timothy a little bit, but we won't necessarily talk about his call, uh, for we talked about Paul's call quite often in this series. So we will start reading in verse number 9, however. The Bible says in Acts chapter 16, verse number 9, the Bible says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis. And from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony, and we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. When she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us, and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul... Being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I pray tonight that you'd please help us as we gather around your word. Please give me direction and discernment. Father, as I've already asked, I pray that you would lead me clearly in this sermon. Lord, I pray that you would open the hearts of every single person in this room, that they they would have paid attention in the scripture reading, that they will know what the Bible is saying to them. And as I begin to preach and apply the Bible, I pray that you would speak directly to hearts. Lord, it's so easy for us to come to church and not even be here, but just in presence alone. Lord, we have so many worries and so many concerns outside the building, it's easy to keep our mind focused on those. So just for the few brief moments that we have tonight, Lord, may everybody's attention fasten upon what you are trying to tell us, and I pray that you would do this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Have you ever heard the term beginner's luck? Have you ever heard that? I've heard that quite often. Uh, One time, 
this past year as we were at youth camp, we had a very unusual day. Uh, this camp is ginormous. In fact, the very first day, I just walked around not knowing where any person was. And after I checked about the 12th or 13th locked door, I assumed that everybody had gone in the rapture. Because I literally did not know where anybody was. Uh, but I, I was checking all these doors, and I, it is such a large campus. We went to Pensacola Christian College. Well, one day, they, they have this big, it's like a recreation center. It's where they have their big water park, and they have their racquetball courts, and their ping pong tables, and their bowling alley, and their ice skating rink. So you can tell it's quite a large facility. And so as we were in there one day, uh, Brother Gerald challenged me to a game of racquetball. Now, I don't know that much about racquetball. I've never really played it by any stretch of the imagination. I stick with sports that actually require athleticism and skill. But uh, I had heard maybe Brother Hodges talk about it before to some of the guys on the basketball team. I, I had seen it played before. I had even been in a racquetball court, but not playing racquetball, playing other normal games like wall ball. And so I had never played racquetball. Well, Brother Gerald decides to challenge me to a game. And I, I told him, I said, Brother Gerald, I've never really played before. I'm not familiar with it. I, I know that Brother Gerald's quite good at tennis. I think he played at a high level in high school. And so I, I was a little bit concerned about that. But I told him, you know, hey, we'll go play. And I was really clear to him that I was very much a beginner at this. And he was downplaying his skill level, saying, nah, I'm not. I, I play a little, but I, I really am not that good at it. And so I was like, well, good. If I'm terrible and you're not that good, we should be in for a fairly even game, seeing I'm like an eighth year age. And so he's in the radio room tonight. He'll, he'll talk to me about that afterward. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I figured, hey, I'm youthful. I, I have age on my side. He is an athletic person, but I got him by a couple years, so maybe him not being that great, me not being, or me being terrible, my athleticism will somewhat even the skill, scales and we can play a fair game. Well, we enter the racquetball court. They give us our rackets and they give us the uh, uh, a ball there. And uh, Brother Gerald began to describe the, the rules of the game because, like I said, I had never played before. And as we entered, it was strange because Brother Gerald uh, had his own intro music. He just started playing his own warm-up music. He ripped off his sweatpants. Muscles that he doesn't have at other times began to bulge in his legs and in his arms and in his neck. And I, it became very apparent to me that he was on human growth hormones uh, for that week of camp just to beat me at racquetball. But I tell you, I did not know what I was in for. We began to play, and as we were getting into our first little few volleys there, uh, I, he was still trying to explain to me the rules. You know, the ball's got to hit the wall first. It's got to come back behind this line, all this jazz. And I really still don't know what's going on. I'm just hitting the ball hard against the wall. And he's talking about angles. And I'm like, that's in pool. You're very confused at how to play this sport. But anyway, he started doing things that I had never seen before. I think that I have him. You know, I'd, I'd make a good shot. And he would run back and hit the ball between his legs, and it would bounce on the wall at an angle that was literally impossible for a normal human being to return the ball against the wall. And I would look at him like, where is this coming from, Gramps? 
I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, I look like the old guy on the court, not knowing anything about anything. All these teenagers are standing outside the glass, and whoever thought that glass was a good idea meant that game to be embarrassing. All the teenagers are outside. Brother Andrew's a loser. Brother Kevin is slain his ten thousands, and Brother Andrew only his thousands. You know, they were screaming biblical chants at me, and I was just ashamed at my athleticism. It was just a, a strange day. And I thought that maybe, hey, I'll be a little better at this game, seeing I'm just a beginner. Well, right here in the Bible, what we have is a very unique time. There have been two people enter the ministry with Paul. One of them we talked about last week, John Mark. Do you all remember John Mark? What was the thing that happened as soon as John Mark entered the ministry for the very first time? They met a witch. Or they met a sorcerer, if you will. And as soon as he enters the ministry, he's met with demonic, black magic oppression. Number two comes in, and this is Timothy now. The very first thing that they come across is a witch. Someone who has a demon spirit, who is able to see the future and, and, and fortune tell. And I just find it very odd that both of them met the same oppression. I want to talk to you quickly today about one dream and two damsels in distress. One dream and two damsels in distress. First of all, I want to point out to you an emphatic dream. An emphatic dream. And if any of you are Bible, uh, if you study your Bible at all, you'll know what the dream is. This is what we refer to as the Macedonian call. Verse number 9. The Bible says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Now, I believe this to be a dream. As Paul was sleeping one evening, a dream came upon him. I want to notice a few things about this dream. First of all, it was a direct call. Now, who's this call to? Paul. It's given directly to Paul that he would be able to go witness and share the gospel in a part of the country that he had not been before. It was a direct call. You know what's unique about our God? is all throughout the Bible, he speaks directly to those who he wants to have a mission for him. I refer you to Jonah as the very first chapter and the very first verse of the chapter says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. Go unto Nineveh, that great city, and cry against its wickedness. You see, in Jonah's life, there was no doubt as to his call. The doubt was whether he would obey God's call or not. God directly spoke to Jonah, and that was direct. Secondly, I refer you to Abraham. God spoke directly to Abraham and told him to leave the land that he was in and go to a land that he would promise to give him. And we're speaking about that slightly on Sunday mornings. Thirdly, I refer you to Moses. Moses is on the backside of the desert herding sheep. Uh, the Bible says he spots a bush that is burning, but the strange thing is it's not being consumed. Moses says, oh, I'll step over and take a look at this bush. As soon as he gets to the bush, the bush says, Moses, take off your shoes, for the ground which you stand on is holy ground. And as Moses engages in conversation with this bush, there is no doubt what the message is, as God, I am, is in the bush and says, I have seen the affliction of my children in, in, in Egypt. You see, God spoke directly to Moses, and he said, Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto the Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. 
Now, in those three examples, and there are many, many examples beyond that, did God not speak directly to the person he needed to do a mission for? He did. Do you know what? I still believe that today God speaks directly to those he is calling. I believe it is just as direct as a burning bush. I believe it is just as direct as a vision in the night. I believe God speaks directly to those who will listen. You see, our God doesn't change, but what's happened is we as people have changed. And the reason God's message is no, clear, no more, longer clearly conveyed to us is that we do not have spiritual discernment enough about us as Moses did and as Jonah did and as Abraham did to open up our hearts and open up our ears so that we would be able to hear God's call on our lives. We're so bogged down with so many things, things of this world. And, and may I say, when I say that, it's not bad things of this world. It's just things. And we've got so many different things weighing us down. It's so hard for our ear to hear the Lord. The Bible says, neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. I wonder if our ears get a little heavy with all the noise that goes on in this world. And see, if we would just directly listen to the direct call, I believe we'd be able to see great things done for God. Not only is it a direct call, secondly, it was a distinguished call. Now, please pay attention. Verse 9 says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia. Now, as Paul does receive this vision... Is there any doubt as to where he might go preach the gospel? No, it's Macedonia. It becomes quite clear, it's in the very startup of the message, that God needs him where? In Macedonia. And I believe if we would take a lesson from Scripture tonight, you can not only know what God wants you to do it, but you can also know where God wants you to do it at. Look in verse number 6. Now, when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas, and then the vision strikes Paul. In other words, Paul was actively seeking somewhere to preach the gospel. And door after door was closed until God revealed to him the location, the ge geographical location that he wanted him to preach the word of God. And time and time again, I have people come to me and ask, oh, Brother Andrew, I feel like there's a call on my life to go do something for God. I just don't know where to go. Well, I would ask you, are you actively seeking doors that are open where you're at? You see, Paul wanted to go. The Spirit said, no, that's not where I have you to go. Paul then says, okay, well, if not there, Lord, we'll go here. And the Lord shuts the door and says, Paul, that's not where I want you to go. And then God reveals to him as clearly as day, Paul, it's in Macedonia. That's the mission I have for you, Paul. My thing is, when people ask me that question, most people are not 
actively seeking doors that are open where they're at. You see, they want the Macedonian call, but they're not willing to go to Phrygia. They're not willing to go to Galatia. They're not willing to go to those places. And since they're not willing to go there, God says, well, if I did have somewhere for you to go, how would I know you would answer the call correctly? Right now, in this local church, are you seeking avenues by which you can be used to give the gospel out? Are you being used as a minister of the gospel where you are located? Because just to be honest with you, I wouldn't support you if you did want to go somewhere if you're not doing it here. Brian Cohn comes to us and says, I'm called to Thailand. If Brian Cohn's not a good minister of the gospel here, what makes you think he's going to change when he goes to Thailand? The reason our church supports him and the reason our church endorses him and the reason I support him is because he was a good minister of the gospel while he was here preaching in children's church and preaching in chapel and soul winning. And as he did those things here, God called him and he says, I'll give you your Macedonian call. What are you doing here? It was not only a direct call, it was a distinguished call. Thirdly, it was a dire call. A dire call. Now look in verse number 9. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And help us. Now, what do they need help with? Who's to say that there was not a a humanitarian effort that needed to take place over there? Who's to say they weren't short on water or short on food or short on clothing or short on a shelter, quality shelter for people to live in? Who's to say that there were not a group of children over there who needed help physically? But when the call came to Paul, there was no doubt what the call was for. Verse 10. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. While people may not fully understand what they need help with, and there are a lot of people asking for help. There's addicts. There's homeless. There's people who cannot maintain a quality relationship with other human beings. There's people that don't know how to truly love and not know how to share that love. There's people who don't know how to manage their finances, and so they're constantly living paycheck to paycheck, and technically they're living next three paychecks to last paycheck. You see, there are people that need help. And while one man may ask for clothing, and one man may ask for food, and one man may ask for shelter, and one man may ask for Financial Peace University, at the end of the day, if they don't know Christ as their Savior, the fundamental basis need of their life is not help financially, physically. It is to meet their need of Christ. 
I would not know how to love if it were not for Christ. I would not know how to properly manage my finances if it were not for Christ. For I would not know how to tithe and then do what I do with my 90% as God blesses that 90%. You understand, if it were not for Christ, I wouldn't even have a need to have clothing because I would just be a naked pauper living in this old sinful and dark world. You see, Christ gives me a reason to live. Not only does he give me a reason to live, he gives me the avenue by which I am to take in this course of life. He gives me direction. He gives clarity. You see, God is the reason to do things in this life if you're a Christian. And while one man may seek financial counseling, one man may, may seek secular mental counseling, at the end of the day, if a person is lost without Christ, they are lost and undone without Christ. And their primary need is not help, it is Christ. So we as Christians ought to be very cognizant of the fact that when people ask for help, not to hand them a 20 before we hand them the gospel. That 20 is only going to prolong comfort in this old life and make them think that there is some pleasure in that comfort. When people ask for help, we ought not sit down and share with them our past experiences or our life experience and tell how we worked it out with our wife or how we worked it out with our husband, except we begin at the very foundation of our marriages and our homes and we say, Christ has taught me how to live. And he can teach you the same. You see, there is a dire need in this world and there are people screaming for help, but that help must begin with Jesus. There's no other help found in this life. People are under the illusion there's pleasure or comfort without God or peace with God. And I'm sorry, no matter how much money you have, you'll always be unhappy until you know Christ. So, I just believe there is a dream. Secondly, I want, to note, want you to notice an enslaved damsel. An enslaved damsel. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, an entreated damsel. I was like, man, the second one's not enslaved. <laughs> That's the third one. So you get a, a, a look at my third point before we even get there. An entreated damsel. Look at this. Uh, verse 14, the Bible introduces us to a young lady. The Bible says in verse 14, and a certain woman named Lydia. Now what an honorable thing to have your name recorded in the Word of God. Could you imagine being one of those named in this book in a positive light and in a positive manner? What a blessing that would be. But Lydia finds herself here named in the very word of God for all of us to speak of for eternity to come. And the Bible says she was a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened that she attended unto the things which were spoken of by Paul. An entreating damsel. She comes and she wants to hear the message. And she wants to be a part of the services. I want you to notice, first of all, she was pliable. Verse 14 teaches us very promptly, very clearly, whose heart the Lord opened. Now, as I read this, I don't know about you, I get a very positive light in my mind towards Lydia. I think she was a very, a very well-kept woman. I think she was a woman who had her head on right, and there are very few of those, and all of them attend this church. So, <laughs> Amen, Miss Curry, amen. Thank you for backing me up there. You see, 
I believe she was going about life, not in a selfish way or, or not in a way that would be unbecoming of a woman, but I believe she was a very modest woman. That's just the way I read it. If you read the way the Bible talks about her in such a positive light, she had it down. But as she comes to Paul, the Bible says the Lord had opened her heart. You see, she had it down, but not so much that she could not learn something. I don't care how long you've been being preached to. I don't care how many Sunday school lessons you've heard. You're never too grown up to learn. And especially when we have such a book filled with so many wonderful treasures, you're never too old to learn something new. She approaches, and the Bible says she approached with an open heart. But the Bible says God did it. Let me ask you a question. When you come to church on Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday evening, and you hear the preaching of God's Word, when you came... Did you ask the Lord to open your heart? Because in this passage, we very easily learn and obtain that it is the Lord which opens our heart, not us. Because as we sit there and we want it and we desire it and we hope it, our natural man is trying to fight this way and our, our, our new man is trying to fight this way, the battle of the flesh and the spirit. And so we stand on neutral ground. And the Bible says that God has the ability to open our heart. So, quick lesson, and I won't stay here long. When we do come to church, especially, I'm, I'm looking tonight at the nucleus of our church. The foundation by which it is built upon. You are the faithful. So as you come... May you be the one that comes and says, Lord, open my heart that I might hear and see wonderful treasures out of your word. Lord, open my heart. Have you ever been in a service that the preacher was preaching on, on the gospel and you heard something almost completely different It helped you in some other area of your life? Almost like God was directly speaking to your heart. You know what? He was. And if you come with an open heart, I promise you'll receive blessing. I promise God will do something for you. As Lydia comes to Paul, she comes pliable. Do we come moldable for our God to change us and to craft us in the manner by which he wants us to look after we leave sermons? So often I think we come almost just expecting it to be mundane. Expecting mediocrity. Just the same old, same old normal thing. But if we would come with a heart open and willing to hear the treasures that God has for us, I believe he would fill our chests. I believe he would fill our hearts with those things that he wants to tell us and he wants to shape us in and he wants to uh, get us on the right course. I believe God would do that. But it is God which does it and not us. Not only was she pliable, she was perceptive. I want you to notice this. Not only was her heart opened by the Lord, the Bible says that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. Now, I believe, and you don't have to believe this, I believe she gets saved here. The Bible says previously she worshipped God, but the Bible is very clear that you can worship God and not even know his son. And so salvation is found in Christ, 
the Bible says that Israel had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And so what I believe is Lydia is saved right here. And that's why in verse 15, the Bible says, And when she was baptized, in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. See, not only was she pliable, she was perceptive to see that those men were giving out something that she did not yet have. She may have worshipped God, but it was not through his son. And the Bible is very clear that there is one mediator, the man Christ Jesus, which bridges the gap between God and man, and it's through the God-man, Jesus Christ. And so Paul began to teach her the gospel. Paul began to teach her how that Christ had died and was buried and rose again the third day. She perceives that she was missing out on something, and she follows in believer's baptism. See, that's always been the plan, and that's always been the course. Get saved, baptism. When you come, do you come with a keen, perceptive heart, willing to hear what the preacher says, willing to follow him? And if he says, take your Bibles over to Exodus chapter 13, are you the person that says, eh, I might not find it by the time he gets there? You know those preachers, they always read it faster than I can find it. Or are you the person who sits on the back row? Okay, preacher, you want me in Ezekiel? That's a hard book to find. Job, you want me there? Okay, preacher, that's what I want. Preacher, I want to hear what you have. And if there's, if there's a reference, if there's something that you have for me over in an Old Testament cross-reference, or, or, or maybe the God can use an illustration that you have, even the funny ones and even the lame ones about history and General George Custard and, and all these other lame things, even preacher, I'll follow along in those because I'm perceptive when I listen to preaching. What I have sensed in my own life is I can come to preaching in two ways. I can come to preaching in neutral, or I can come to preaching in drive. You say, what do you mean by that? I mean, I can go and I can get comfortable in my pew, and I can cross my legs, and I can put my arm on that pew and just throw that Bible in my lap and look like I'm paying attention. But really, in my mind, I'm just in neutral. What comes in goes out. And you say, you? Yeah. I think we all struggle with that a little bit. But the way that Lydia approached the message that Peter had for her this day was, whatever, whatever I can do, whatever I can glean, whatever it is, if it's baptism, it's baptism. If it's, if it's Christ, it's, it's Christ. Whatever it is, I will follow that. I hope that you are perceptive when you come to church. Don't just throw it in neutral. This world is pushing us and attacking us daily, and I hope that when we come to church on Sunday, we're looking for something to share with the world tomorrow. I just hope we're perceptive. Not only an entreating damsel, thirdly, we're almost done. An enslaved damsel. Now, verse 16 tells us of a woman that is in complete contrary behavior to Lydia. You have Lydia who seems to have it all together. Lydia who worshipped God and was seeking a spiritual path. Lydia who, who was a righteous woman, if you will. And then secondly, you see a woman who was terribly used and abused by this world. Look in verse 16, the Bible says, And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, 
A certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. I want you to notice, first of all, she was possessed. She was possessed. In fact, that's literally the word that the Bible uses in verse 16. She uh, was possessed with a spirit of divination. In other words, the Bible uses the term soothsayer, but she was a fortune teller. Now, I, I believe that she did have some ability to forecast the future. Whether you want to call that psychic behavior or whether you want to call that whatever, I believe she had the ability to forecast what was going to take place. And what her masters were using her for was so that she could give them the inside scoop on where to put their money so that it might get a big return. In other words, years ago, she would have told her masters to invest in Apple at $100 a share that would now be well over worth a million dollars a share. That's what she would have done. She said, oh, I see a startup company here uh, and and Apple, and I, I think if we invest here, it will come out good. And so she would do that. It would be like receiving the text message that the Cowboys lost today on Friday and then placing your money in Las Vegas on that. You say, that's gambling. Well, not if you know it. (laughs) Just kidding. That's what it would be like. And they knew what was going to take place. And so because they knew, they would place their money in, in, in places that, that would bring a good return. And I'll just break it down to you like this. Even if they knew it was going to be a dry year and they were farmers, if she forecasted that they were going to receive no rain, could not her master save money and never put a seed in the ground? And so they would save the money. And while everybody has had seeds that were uh, uh, watered and were not sprouting, they were sitting on the money that they should have spent on seed. You see how this would be beneficial to her masters. She was possessed, however. You see, while this was a blessing to her masters, it was the very reason she was a slave. And I believe that while at times sinful behavior may seem beneficial and blessings to others, it's the very reason you're a slave and in bondage to it. While others may say, hey man, Mike's the life of the party when he gets drunk, you're a slave. You're in bondage. And you think you're having a good time, but all the while it is the thing that's holding you with the cords of your own iniquity. It is literally your taskmaster. It tells you where to go. It tells you how to behave. And you say, is that the only place? No, I believe that you can be in bondage to gambling. I believe you can be in bondage to things that are a detriment to your physical body. I believe that you can be a slave to a multitude of different things. But hers just happened to be a possession of a demonic presence. Not only was she possessed, but secondly, she was a problem. She was a problem. Now look in verse 17. The Bible says, The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Now would that not be an endorsement? The fact that she followed men of God and proclaimed, These men are from God. 
And the message that they bring is a message of salvation. Would that not almost seem a, an endorsement? I mean, that's something that we would put on our side. The message of salvation. But here's the problem with that. You can never separate the message from the messenger. And as these men had righteous attributes and righteous motives and were simply going about to establish the gospel in people's hearts, by her riding their coattails, she was becoming associated with them. You, you see, you can't be associated with the devil if you're trying to present Christ. Which is the reason that a lot of us are not good evangelists for him. Because Monday through Saturday, we act like the devil's our father. And then Sunday, we begin to talk like Christ is our father. But what's happening is, she's saying, these men are from God and I'm with them. And it doesn't go over well because they, be, they would begin to listen to her ways and, and to the way she would go. You see, we have this taking place in our day-to-day -day lives. We see it all the time on television. It's when an, a professional athlete gets up on the podium after the game and says, first of all, I just want to start out by thanking Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. But somewhere in the game, the commentators had to apologize for slow-mowing the words that they were saying because we could read their lips. It's the movie star saying, well, I just want to thank my Lord and Savior for giving me this role and the roles to a rated R movie. It's when Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, says, I want to make no bones about it. I'm a homosexual, and I consider it one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given me. It is people identifying with God, but having no clue who he is. We see it all the time. We live day by day by it, and we... We even almost praise it when an athlete does it, and then they get caught just a few weeks later having a party in a hotel with a bunch of women. You see, that man knows nothing about my God. That man knows nothing about my Savior. His morality compass does not point true north. We see it all the time. People who are a detriment to the message of the gospel by simply naming the man of the gospel. And acting like they identify with him in some way. This woman was trying to ride the coattails and she no more, no more knew Christ than the person who was in jail for the worst, most terrible crime. She was a problem. Finally, I want you to notice this. She was preserved. In verse 18, the Bible says she did this for a, lot, for a long time. The Bible says in verse 18, and this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. Now, I recently read something, and I, wanna, I want you to hear this. A survey was recently done of 1,700 kids. All of these kids were in high school. Out of 1,700 kids, 416 of them admitting to having involvement with Ouija boards. Out of 1,700 kids, 321 admitted to having some involvement with astrology 
and horoscopes. That is a direct slap in the face of our God if we believe that a daily news clipping in our paper directs our life. You see, that is exactly what happened to the Tower of Babel when the Bible says they observed times. Out of these 1,700, 192 of them admitted to involvement with palm reading to tell future events. You know the sad thing about this survey? It was done in a Christian school. That stuff is nothing to play around with. And you say I should be addressing the teenagers in this, and maybe I am. But if you are someone who is involved in reading horoscopes and and asking them to forecast your future, it is showing your utter lack of faith in the God that knows tomorrow. Just believe that the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 18, There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. The Bible is very clear. We are not to live like this world lives, thinking that some human can help us with our future. We're to trust God for that. The Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 3, he gives Elijah a message, and he asks Elijah to go and ask this people a question. And this question is, Elijah... Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say unto them, Is it not because there is no God in Israel that ye go to inquire of Beelzebub, the gods of Ekron? In other words, God said, Elijah, I want you to go ask them, Is it not that they don't is it not because there's no God to give them an answer in Israel that they have to start seeking worldly avenues? Can I say Anyone who begins to mess around with this black magic, dark look, and and I believe it goes much farther than just a Ouija board, but horoscopes and palm readings and calling the Jamaican lady on TV, showing my age there, because that came on when I was like in middle school. But anyway, if we mess with those things, I believe God has the same question for us. Is it because you believe there's no God in your own life that you have to consult these other sources? Don't mess around with those things. And as Paul encounters this lady, he casts the spirit of divination out of her and says, in the name of Jesus Christ, be gone. And I'm thankful that our God does have power over the spirit. I'm thankful that in the name of Jesus Christ, he does listen to what Paul says. What do we learn out of this? What is it that we should take out of one dream and two damsels in distress? You see, a dream came to Paul, and this dream was that he would go to Macedonia and preach the gospel and to help them. As he goes to Macedonia, he encounters one lady who seems to have everything going right who seems to have her life in order and seems to be a worshiper of God. And so she is literally the best prospect that we could ever have in a church, someone who seeks God. 
But then not just a few verses later, we find Paul being met with a woman who is possessed of a demonic presence. And Paul preaches the same Jesus unto her that he did Lydia. The vision to us is quite clear. Preach the gospel to every creature. Go ye into all nations and teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded them. That's the vision for us. The vision is is that you see tomorrow yourself being an evangelist for the Lord. That tomorrow you would be a minister. That tomorrow you would be a witness as God has called you to be. That tomorrow you would share the King of Kings with this old wicked world. That's the vision. But what do we do with the damsels? See, I see one that has it right and I see one that has it very wrong. And if you learn nothing out of the sermon tonight, learn this. There has never been anyone so good that they didn't need to be saved. And there's never been anyone so bad that couldn't be saved. What we do is sometimes we see people and it seems like their life is okay. And it's almost like we pass over them because we need to get the town drunk saved. You see, if someone's without Christ... They need Him before they can ever have peace, no matter how good of a facade they put on. And for others of us tonight, the lesson may be, I'm scared of the town drunk. I don't want to witness to the brawler. I don't want to witness to the person who seems outright and against everything that I believe. See, the same Christ who saved the thief on the cross is the same Christ who took care of the maid at the cross. Christ came for all. And it is not our job to be judge, jury, and executioner. It is our job to be witnesses. To tell of what Christ has done for the good and the bad. For the ones who seem to have it and the ones who obviously don't. It is our job to tell them. But will we, like Paul, heed the call? Because a lot of people are in neutral. A lot of people here to go to Macedonia, but never go. See, it wasn't until Jonah actually went to Nineveh, revival broke out. It wasn't until Moses actually went to Egypt that God could deliver them. And I just believe until we go and heed the vision, we'll never see either damsel saved. 